0: She's a doctor.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Dovek, and she's a dietitian.
0: Hey, I'm Hannah Skyler, and together we are the, the Do- doctor
1: dietitian Dietician collab. Oh, and today we are so excited to have Dr. Stephanie Porus in the house plastic surgeon, amazing person. We have a lot to talk about with you today.
2: Welcome, welcome. Well, girls, I am so excited. We have been trying to do this collab for some time, and I can't wait to get this discussion on the table. Absolutely. So our patients love to talk about
1: body contouring, plastic surgery, facial cosmetics, everything and anything from the face all the way down to the butts and hips and legs and everything in between. So we have a lot to talk about. So I want to make sure that we have a lot of listeners who have already written in that they want to know everything about the abdomen, the abdominal region, loose skin. What are the
2: options? Let's hear it. Yeah. So we can absolutely break this down by area. You know, we're seeing um, with the advent of all of the interventions with massive weight loss, you know, from surgery to non-surgical approaches, plastic surgeons more than ever are doing so much weight loss plastic surgery, which is fabulous. And so first and foremost, like what I'd like to say before we kind of segue into the anatomic areas is that before we do anything, we want to be at our goal weight. Mm. We want to know that, you know, you're not planning to lose any more weight because really at the end of the day that you want to be where you're at, where you're comfortable in order to have as much of that excess skin removed. You know, certainly we don't want to do any surgery midway in your weight loss journey because then if you lose weight after, guess what? You might be back in my chair in a year needing a revision. So um, we also want to check your lab work. You know, are your vitamin levels Mm. good? Is your protein level good? Are you going to heal after surgery? Right? We want to really make sure that first foremost, you are a good surgical surgical candidate. You are ready to have surgery. And once those boxes are checked, check, then it's time for the fun to begin. And so moving on to the biggest area that we constantly see um, in plastic surgery and that belly area, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So when you separate it out, many of you probably listening have heard of something called a paniculectomy. And a paniculectomy is nothing more than taking that excess pannus that you get. It's that excess skin from your belly button down to wherever it goes and just removing it. We don't do anything with the belly button. We don't do anything with your muscle. It's literally more of a functional surgery than a cosmetic surgery potentially, right? Yes, it's cosmetic. We're removing that excess skin, but we're not necessarily making it look like It is a restorative to, you know, your natural um, abdominal region. So just know that paniculectomy is not an abdominoplasty. An abdominoplasty is something completely different.
1: Okay, so insurance and how it plays into the role into a paniculectomy. So PANIS, like you said, it can go down even to like the mid-thigh or even lower. And people are always worried about this sort of fatty apron of abdominal wall skin. So tell us, when does insurance come into play? Do you accept insurance? How does that aspect work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I do accept insurance. And actually, we just had a, a wonderful case um, just within the past week, actually, where a patient came Came in and wanted to use her insurance for the quote unquote paniculectomy part, but really she wanted a full abdominoplasty. And we'll talk a little bit about what the difference is. And so when insurance approves the paniculectomy, if they approve it, we'll talk about usually what's necessary to approve it, uh, have them approve it. Um, then what we can do is kind of take that insurance part and integrate it in with the abdominoplasty cosmetic part. And so you can shave down some OR time that you have to pay for, shave down some of the surgical fees, et cetera, um, when you can combine the two, okay? Mm-hmm. Because by definition, an abdominoplasty includes a paniculectomy. So let's talk about the paniculectomy and how do you get it approved. So to be approved for a paniculectomy, usually most insurance payers want to see that your penis hangs below your vagina or your penis okay. because it's a functional issue, okay? They want to see that you've had complicated rashes under there that have been treated or have been attempted to be treated. So they need to see prescriptions on file for different creams and lotions and potions. And, you know, um, they don't care that it destroys in, uh, intimacy. They don't care about any of that. I can write it all down, but at the end of the day, mm. it doesn't matter. What they want to see is that. The penis hangs below your, you know, private area, and that there's rashes um, or paniculitis, which is actually infections of the panis itself. Um, and so, when that's well documented and we have, you know, a history of that, usually the insurance payer will cover it.
0: Do you find that like having patients like write all of that down, like keep almost a journal of mm-hmm, like absolutely. these days? Because you know, you can look in the medical record and look for potions and creams and things and like that, yeah. but you know, having that actual documentation or photos or things like that.
2: Photo documentation is huge. Insurance companies love photos. We always have to include photos. Photo documentation. In fact, that's what we do when you come to the plastic surgeon. The first thing we always do is take photos. And a lot of patients feel like, oh, it might be a little bit of an invasion of privacy. But the reality is that we really do need those photos. And we submit those photos to the insurance company because they need to see that. And so you'll see me, you know, I'll be taking all kinds of weird angles and, and whatnot to just try to make sure that we can get you approve. And so a lot of patients will have a primary care provider, and they'll have documentation within their notes because mm-hmm. primary providers know a lot of this. They know that they need to have rashes and all of those things because these are very common payer requests. And so a lot of the times I'll request records from the primary care physician or the surgeons mm-hmm. um, themselves. And so um, you'll, they'll be able to give me some of that to add to you know my case. Yeah. yeah.
1: And we are happy w- when we're up and running here to document it as well. When we see fungal infections, like, mm-hmm. You said inflammation, irritation, redness, erythema, warmth of the skin. You can really have some significant cellulitis changes, bacterial. It can really... Impact and, and it's, a, it's a big deal. And so get those pictures, even with your own cell phone, take them, journal yeah. it, write it down, see a provider, get that all documented as well. Now, I wanted to back up as well and talk about you're talking about this like uh, invasion of privacy and, and getting, you know, naked essentially in mm-hmm. front of. I want to talk about your office and how beautiful and tranquil and just you it is. Can you tell everybody what this thing looks like? People, you have to go and see her for a console just to get in this office. Let me tell you.
2: Um, Okay. So it's, first of all, I have to say, you know, I am female. Hear me roar. So my office sort of does scream that um, (laughs) by probably sheer passion. My second love of life, other than my family and my job is interior design. So, I really put my heart and soul into everything in this office, and it definitely does not look like your standard medical office. No. It is really fun. In fact, actually, just today, we wallpapered uh, some new that are – it's so rad. Let me tell you. It's very cool. Oh, so we to take a, definitely, yes. a road trip down yeah. there. Yeah, we're going to record there. I mean, it is really, really cool. So it's definitely not your typical sterile environment. We try to keep it no. fun. We try to keep it light. Um, and it is just – I'm so, it's such a happy place to work. I mean, I love it. I think the girls in my office love it. We constantly get feedback from patients that it's just like, wow, like I just feel comfortable here and I feel like it's just a cool place, a cool vibe. So I
1: can attest to that. It is the coolest vibe. She has this mural on the wall by Derek Gorse. Yes. And he um, he's done stuff for Playboy magazine cover. Mm-hmm. He's done things for the Orlando Magic. You can see that he makes these collages that together make up your personality. And it's just, again, it's just hot pink and Beyonce. And, and I think there's like, I don't know, like feathers and chandeliers and couches and you will forget that you're at a medical clinic period it's just amazing
2: it is we try to do everything to make you comfortable I think my my office mission is to keep it safe professional exciting sophisticated and really fun and oh, so you that. know if we can bring that to any scary surgical procedure I think we're winning and and mm-hmm. that that makes me really happy okay so let's go back to the surgeries yes. and talk about the level of skin scariness to
1: them. So you talked about the paniculectomy, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that sometimes there's the paniculectomy and then versus an abdominoplasty. What are the key differences there?
2: Yeah. So the key difference is with an abdominoplasty, we can actually uh, make you a new or save your current belly button. Okay. Okay. And then a lot of patients with massive weight loss or mommies that have who've had mm. multiple babies actually get what's called a rectus diastasis, which isn't a true hernia of your abdominal wall, but what it is is the muscles, your ab muscles, actually separate down the midline. And when they do that, you get in a distended appearance to your abdomen. And, so, and, and you can actually have functional issues like your sit-ups won't be as strong, your lower back hurts. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, uh, again, an aesthetic thing. It's also a functional deformity. And so... When we do an abdominoplasty, we fix that those muscles and we repair those muscles. You can't do that with a paniculectomy because you just don't get high enough. We actually go all the way up to where your ribs start Ooh. down the center and we go from there and and sew the muscles back together. And um, so that's a true abdominoplasty and we do that in almost every abdominoplasty we do and almost everybody, I would say 98% of my patients have some sort of rectus diastasis whether it be small or really large. Um, and it's why you see a lot of women, if you look at a lot of or, and men even, uh, before and afters and You'll say, oh, my gosh, their belly was so far out. Mm. And then all of a sudden after the abdominoplasty, you're like, oh, my God, they're like flat as a board. Well, Uh. that's actually from the rectus diastasis repair, not necessarily removal of the skin. So you're not going to get that with the paniculectomy. You're not going to get a belly button again with a paniculectomy. But with an abdominoplasty, those two things come into play. So it's definitely more of a comprehensive surgery. And so a lot of my patients will say, listen, I really want to get this pianist off, but... I really want to have the rest of it. And so we work out a way to make it work for them. I
0: love that. Yeah. I think it's so important to think about like all the longer term things and all those other things, you know, if your muscles are separating and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, like, yeah, we want to functionally fix it too. It's not just that aesthetic purpose.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you said it, back pain, rashes, all kinds of things. Now let's talk about the different scars. So the paniculectomy versus the
2: abdominoplasty scar, is where? where is that? How big of an incision is that? Yes. So the paniculectomy scar and the abdominoplasty scar are essentially the same. That's low from hip to hip, you know, just about eight centimeters above your vagina or penis. Okay? okay. So and extending out from hip to hip, just much like a C-section, but longer. Okay. Now there's something called a fleur-de-lis abdominoplasty. And if you have excessive skin, both... Hanging low and wide. Some people have width to Mm -hmm. their excess skin. If we just did an abdominoplasty, you're still going to be floppy in the middle. And so you've got to remove that skin too, almost like a corset, okay? Think of a corset when you tighten it in the back, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing with the fleur-de-lis. We're tightening on the bottom. And we're tightening in the center. And so you'll see a vertical incision as well, like really where your belly button is, all the way down from where your ribs start down to your belly button and below. And then it'll, it'll meet up with that other incision from hip to hip. And so those can be fabulous procedures. Those really can give you a very contoured waistline mm. if you're a candidate.
1: Wow. So the up and down incision, not a big deal. You do, do you use staples? How do you
2: close that? No, everything in my, in my hands is closed with suture. They're all dissolvable. And I try to save your, your native umbilicus. A lot of the times it looks better if I don't and I make you a new one, okay. um, especially because most of the time with massive weight loss, a lot of the belly buttons are very stretched out and they can mm. be long and, you know, it's just better sometimes to start fresh. Wow. Okay. Now when you're making this contour, are you using liposuction
1: or does that come in to play a lot or not often with the skin type?
2: Great question. So depending on the amount of weight you've lost, a lot of my weight loss patients don't need liposuction. It's just really more of a skin issue. Yeah, exactly. And so it's really nice because, you know, liposuction adds time. It adds a level of complexity, a, a level of risk. And so I would say if you need it we do it, right? Um but most of them most of my patients just aren't really candidates. They've lost so much weight that they don't really have much for me to lipo suck. The other caveat to that is, you know, when you've lost all this weight, you've also lost a lot of the springiness in your skin, right? A lot of that collagen and elastin has just kind of reached its maximum and, you know, much like a a post-mommy, you know, situation, you get stretch marks, usually means your skin quality isn't great. And if your skin quality isn't great and I do liposuction, you're going to end up with more excess skin because it's Mm. not going to contract back. And we rely on that contraction of your skin when we do liposuction. So a lot of my weight loss patients just really aren't great candidates for it to begin with. But if we can do it, and if you need it, absolutely, we'll add it in. That
0: makes sense. Yeah, like that, like skin friability. Mm -hmm. From a nutrition perspective, do you recommend taking collagen
2: supplements anybody? So, okay. So this is actually something very much going around in the plastic surgery community right now. And I do think there's a component that it can help a little bit. I don't really think, though, it's not necessarily targeting the correct... Target from yeah. what I've read, I don't. I think what's most important from a nutritional standpoint is your protein levels. Yeah, um, and that's something that we are really aggressive about. In fact, I usually make everybody for a month before their surgery start drinking protein shakes two to three times a day, at least eighty milligrams of protein a day before and following their procedure. Even if their protein levels were good, I mean, I just think in this patient population, we have seen time and time again that nutrition is the ultimate healing issue. So, oh yeah,
0: and protein in general with the surgery is yeah. your protein needs go up after surgery for right. healing. So. Oh, yeah. The stress of it yeah. all.
2: Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. And, you know, you open this um, up with saying... We really want you to be at your goal weight. And we get asked, Hannah and I get asked constantly, like, well, what should my goal weight be? Like, how do I know if I'm there? Or the flip side of that is the person that's like, I could do better. I could be more perfect. And then time just keeps going. And then it's like they never quite get there. So sure. what? how do you, for us, when we're more on the front end and we're the ones that are kind of opening that door and saying, hey, it's time. Go see Dr. Porus at Porus Plastic Surgery. Yeah. Get in
2: there for your consults. How? What do you think? What advice should we give? Yes. So I think when your weight has plateaued, so okay. when you've lost the, you know, all the weight that you've, you know, are going to lose from your bariatric surgery or your, you know, nutritional uh, supplementation, and then all of a sudden, you know, for three to five months, you just really haven't gone anywhere, and you know, it's not for lack of exercise or you know that the surgery didn't work or whatever. You've you've already gone through most of it, and mm. now you're stable. That's what I want to see you because I really want your weight to be stable for a good three months before I'm going to operate. I have to see that everything's plateaued off. Got it. That That makes sense.
0: Yeah, I was wondering that too, like Mm -hmm. that amount of time you want to see that stability. Because usually that's what you kind of hear. It's like you want to be at your goal weight and then like there's there's like a washout period of like make sure you can kind of hold on to that goal weight. Because, you know, we do also see that people will go down and then realize that their lowest may not actually be where they want to be. You know, they're like, you know, I'm at my lowest and I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel happy. And they may want to even gain a few pounds back. Mm -hmm. And so like finding that happy, happy self. You know, which can be challenging when you have the extra skin, though. I think a lot of people struggle with that, too, because they're like, the number is there, but I'm not seeing it in my body. I'm not seeing it in the mirror. Like,
2: you my know. My pants dyes is still up from where yeah. I want to be. So I think a lot of
1: patients are really, really concerned about. Gosh, I need to like get more of this fat off. They think, but like you just pointed out with the liposuction aspect, is that there's nothing to liposuction. There's no fat under there. It's this just skin that needs to be removed. And I think with the body dysmorphia and like, ah, am I ready? Am I worthy? Do I need to try harder? Like, I. I hope that you're okay with I'm just going to send patients over um, typically around like if they bring it up to me I send it to you to be like have that conversation and just you know you're the expert that's what I always tell them like you you'll you won't you know, fool people or, or take advantage of them and say, you know what, I think you need to lose another 20
2: or you're ready, or maybe we even need to gain some with some more protein. No, absolutely. So I love seeing patients during their weight loss journey. I mean, I we see patients all the time that are still losing weight. And I love that because then we can start the discussion mm-hmm. and then we really, really get to the crux of what their goals are. So absolutely. I mean, I'm happy to even see them the day after their bariatric surgery. I mean, truly. That's cool walking hand-in-hand with them through this entire process because it's so life-changing, all of it, right, from beginning to end. And so um, having that relationship, having that bond, that shared kind of goals and value system between the surgeon and the patient in my office is absolutely just spectacular. And I think it helps them sort of navigate this new life, this new body. Yeah, I I think that's true. And we have the coolest job in the world to
1: see people who uh, just changed their life. That one year mark is typically when it's like, uh, just almost a, like a pinnacle of sorts. But I also want people to hear that to what Hannah was saying earlier, that 100%, 100% of patients are going to gain some weight back from that lowest point. You're mm-hmm. you're going to. It doesn't mean you're a failure. You're going to start to panic. Oh, God, it's all over. Like, what have I done? I gained this pound. And when you see a certain thing, like if you're in the 140s and, oh gosh, I've been in the 140s and now I'm seeing 150 again. I don't care who you are. It messes with you to the scale. And there's a lot here. So I think that the plastic surgery should be part of this journey. If it bothers you, if you think about it almost obsessively, which I'm sure a lot of you listening right now we're like, oh, this skin, go do it. Like yeah. invest in yourself. Like, do you take payment
2: plans? Because people are worried about the money and we are just talking about the insurance, all of that stuff. Absolutely. We do payment plans. We have care credit in our office as well. I mean, we're always happy. And, and a lot of these surgeries, you know, you can't do them all together, right? Oh. If we're talking about arms and breasts and belly and back. I mean you can't you just can't do it all in one day it's not safe. So a lot of these surgeries we actually break apart. Um and so you do it in stages and it's safer and it's better for you and the recovery is much less complicated and it's a little bit less complicated on our pocketbook, you know? Yeah, I mean yeah. you have some time to recover from the financial stress of each surgery. So absolutely, we are we are there to work with patients. That is what we do. I love it. I and, do too.
0: And you mentioned other body parts, so let's move on to the breasts. Yes. I would say there's a lot of people out there with or without bariatric surgery who are, maybe you've had some kids, maybe you are just, things are just not where they used to be. What kind of, what do you see as far as that?
2: Yes. So probably in the weight loss community, what we see the most of is significant deflation of the breasts. Okay. So Mm -hmm. we're talking both male and female here. So um, and men and women alike, once once they lose all of this weight, they usually have this deflated upper breast. And then a lot of them, their nipples will also kind of go towards gravity in their toes. And, you know, the, the farther your nipple drops, the more we need to pick it back up. And so we do um, a little bit different surgeries for male and female, depending on um, what the scenario is. But let's just say for for uh, female patients, you know, where I always start is, you know, if your nipple was where it needed to be, we put all of your skin back up on the chest where it was when you were maybe 20 years old or 15 or what have you. Are you happy with your volume? And my patients will usually say, you know, I could just use a little more volume. That's when we might say, okay, well, let's do a breast lift and a breast augmentation. Let's put a small implant in there and kind of give you a little bit more volume and fullness, but at the same time lifting your breast where it needs to be. Now, I have some patients who are like, no, I'm, I think my volume's great. I just want it back up on. <laughs> My we were beloved. And in those patients, then just a breast lift is all you need. And that is one of my favorite surgical procedures. It's super fun, it's super life changing, and it's great. And it's all your body's own tissue, which is really nice. Um, now, for men, a lot of the times, again, we see this deflation. We see a lot of excess skin in men. And so we really have to remove a lot of that skin. And a lot of times we can hide that scar where kind of that pectoralis ends, right? That natural, if you look at a male, like a male bodybuilder, right? Underneath their nipple, they always have that crease from where the mm-hmm. belly starts and the breast pec, pec muscle starts. So we try to kind of hide the scar there to sort of camouflage it and kind of make it look a little bit more like manly. Um, and sometimes we have to. Extend it underneath the armpits to get all of that excess skin out of there. And, and bring your, of course, bring your nipple up too. So there's a lot of things we can do. And, um, and with weight loss surgery, really, every surgery is very different. There's no one size fits all when it comes to weight loss surgery and plastic surgery because everybody loses weight differently and their skin. Responds very differently, mm-hmm. so um, it is truly a very individualized consultation. Yeah, and so like
1: with that said, how do you decide on the volume of the breast? that they do want to have implants, do you, what like are there options? I mean, I know that there's
2: different sizes and those sorts of things, but how does that all work? That's a great question. So, um, with breast implants in general, what we look at as plastic surgeons is actually the width of your chest. So mm-hmm. from your breastbone over to where your natural breast ends, you know which is really before your armpit, right? Um, we don't want an implant that's sitting underneath your armpit. So we measure that width. And based off of that width, we have different size ranges that we can put in our volume ranges of implants. So it gets a little bit more nuanced on my end to kind of say, OK, this is the range I think you could fit into. Now I have to ask you, what are your goals? Like, how big do you want to be, right? And we don't go off cup sizes. We kind of go off, well, well right now I'm a B and, you know, maybe I would, I would like to be a little fuller but not certainly like Dolly Parton or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I and I use those extremes to kind of see where patients are at. Oh, no, no, please. I just want to be natural or, yeah, you know, I'd like to be a little bit more voluptuous. Um, and so what I always tell patients is I always bring sizers to the operating room. We have the ability – on the surgical table. Now you're asleep. But once I know your goals, I can kind of translate them for you in real time and sort of pick the implant. I think that looks right for you. And that's how I typically do implants and and volume kind of adjustments. Oh, I
1: love it. I mean, yeah. Do you guys all like sit back and kind of like sit them up and like look to make sure they're
2: equal and even and all those good things? Yeah, absolutely. We absolutely do that. And there's a lot of times where I'll be like, I just think she's going to hate this or, oh, this is just fabulous. I mean, and, and we do. We all kind of like kind of chime in, you know, real quick, like, hey, like, that's really good. Or, mm, you know, I think she wanted to be a little bigger, or a little smaller. So, yeah.
0: Well, and I think that shows just like how important it is to find a surgeon that you mesh with and mm-hmm. you vibe with, because, you know, you're going to be like, you know what, I've talked to this person, maybe you've already done uh, another surgery with them. So, you know, their longer term goals or doing, you know, but you know, that person to be like, you know what, I know what's going to actually make them happy. Yes. In this moment.
2: Yes, I can not tell you. I I see so many patients each week that have had breast implants and we're just talking implant specific who have told me, I woke up and I said, I didn't want to be this big yeah. and mm-hmm. I am too big. um, And so we see that a lot. And it used to be sort of a mantra back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Oh, the, the women always want to go bigger. The women always. And I would hear that and a lot of, you know, older plastic surgeons would say that. And I think that that first of all, in this day and age, the trend is actually very natural, going mm-hmm. smaller, etc. But it, that's not true. And you can't make that decision. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't we always get it right. But you know, you really have to do what the patient wants, you really have to and you really have to understand their goals. And that's part of that discussion in that journey, we were talking about really truly getting to know your patients, from the very beginning of this process to the very end, the more you know, the better I you know, we we, we get it right. And
1: I think that's what's so cool about your practice is that you are in this is a boutique experience you did general surgery you did plastic surgery or you know you're eligible for these plastic surgery boards and all of these certifications and i think that that is critical i mean there's so much hype on the news right now about the mexican medical tourism not that there's anything wrong with going to mexico for your care but man here you are with your quality and your standards and your personality and just this whole experience i think that's so critically
2: important as part of this journey Absolutely. You really have got to find plastic surgeons and really in any medical specialty, you need to find people that are competent and that have good ethical and moral values. I mean, our industry is a $49 billion industry, the cosmetic industry. And so as you can imagine, there are a lot of people that want a piece of that pie. And so you'll see people parading themselves around as cosmetic surgeons that are really not at all plastic surgeons. And you have to be careful. I mean, time and time again, myself and my colleagues always talk about, you know, these botched patients that we see and we have to take care of and how they felt like Oh well, we thought they were reputable, and then mm. we found out they weren't. And or we went to go find you know a cheaper surgeon, and and ended up in a really bad situation. And and we've seen deaths from it. So mm. it's really really important to seek out surgeons that are um, really vetted by their fellow peers, and being board certified or board eligible, and having training is so important. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now let's keep moving up the body, and let's go to the arms, the infamous bat wings. I'm waving. And when I stop waving, my arms are still waving. It impacts my ability to work out and lift weights. It bothers me. We hear that a lot, but people are worried about the scar and many things. So tell tell us about how the arm excess skin
2: works. Yes, the bat wings. We do. We see this all the time. And so I will tell you this. This is the one area where I do a lot of liposuction with the removal of the excess skin. A lot of times, even with weight loss, you still have some excess adiposity in that area a lot of the time. So we tend to mix liposuction in this area With skin removal. Now, you mentioned scars. Yes, these are some of the worst scars a plastic surgeon can give, And the reason for that is a lot of times they turn out wonderful. But these scars are under – it's a high tension area. Mm -hmm. You are closing skin on a circle. And so you can imagine the skin is pulling apart down the center. And so you can get wide scars. You can get hypertrophic scars. You can get keloids. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be fine. But I always warn patients with this one that, listen, I will give you the best fighting chance at a great scar. But at the end of the day, your body's going to do what it wants to do. And we're here to intervene if it dies. And so, you know, the scar will go down the center or the back of your arm. And then usually we bring it down onto the chest um, underneath your armpit, um, depending on how much excess skin you have on your chest as well.
0: I didn't realize that it went like down that far mm-hmm. I know I just think of the arms yeah mm-hmm. it me sense. too
1: it does because you have to be really tight you don't want to have this big like um dog ear yeah.
0: like excess yeah yeah. Also, so I, we'll chase it I wish we were videoing because Betsy and I this yeah. whole time have just been like <laughs> touching, each, our each, own, touching <laughs> <not> each other touching on each other touching ourselves but like you. as you talk about things we're both like <laughs> oh, I've been rubbing
1: oh, my yeah. boobs and I've been like assessing my own nipples <laughs> yeah. and where they're at and I'm like oh god I gotta go see Dr. Forrest this is a stat emergency
0: let me tell you that's my day
2: I mean it's not a it's a normal day if I'm talking and like showing patients like with my hands my own breasts and sometimes their husbands are sitting right there and I'm like I'm so sorry like this is so weird. this is how we <laughs> yeah. talk about it yeah. oh my gosh yeah. I know
1: okay so I want to um, go to the legs next I know we're not quite in order but this is another one that can really impact their I'm sure their functionality
2: and their comfort and and all of that so how does that all work Yes so we have a mantra in plastic surgery and it's usually legs last. So after we've addressed all the other body areas, okay, with the, I think with the exception of the arms, but breasts, tummy, back, buttocks, all of those we usually like to do first and then we like to do legs last. And the reason for this is that Those other areas actually can distort the lower legs. And once we fix those other areas, i.e. the tummy, mostly and the hips, then we can make the legs look a little bit better just by doing those things first. And so you don't want to do the legs first. And then all of a sudden you pull up the belly and now your scars are extending up onto your, you know, your belly wall. So um, legs come last. It's also a harder recovery in the sense that it's just awkward, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you got to go to the bathroom. You got to walk all day. Um, and so it's just like an awkward and kind of dirtier area that we're working around, right? Like there's nothing clean about, you know, your private area. And so it comes with a little bit more risk of infection. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do. We do. I always like to say, let's address those last and then we can make them look. Perfect. And get rid of that excess skin. And yes, you can wear shorts. But again, here, we always warn about the scars. It's the same thing on the legs as the arms. The scars are long. They can be wide. You can keloid. You can hypertrophic if you're prone to that. Um, So I always, will will actually physically draw a line on my patients and say, look, this is how long your scar is going to be. And it's going to be scary Mm -hmm. um, at first. Um, But over time, it blends in and it's great. Hmm. Yeah. And I know that
1: like with white skin, it t- tends to, it, it'll be really red and very mm-hmm. contrasty. And that seems to fade. But even in my little tiny laparoscopic incisions, they seem to take about a solid like year or two for them to really like kind of fade away to where you don't really see them. It
2: takes a while. It does. Uh, we, I always tell everybody it takes about a year for the scar to mature and to sort of camouflage or to okay. white out. Um, but they can be red and very, very angry looking for that amount of time. And that's, you know, that's, it can be um, a little traumatic, but that's where we come in and we handhold and, you know, we tell you, listen, like, you're going to get through this and I, um, I'm going to give you every modality to make the scar as pretty as we can.
1: Yeah, I always think when it comes, you talked about hypertrophied scars and keloided scars, and that tends to be more of a black skin or darker skin. It seems that that happens. My theory is that that occurs if you use the bovie electrocautery, basically, like for those of you listening, it just basically like burn. If you burn the skin, I think that that's when you get those scars. So I don't use a bovie ever. Mm-hmm. I just put pressure. on minor, little tiny things, you have to use a bovie. But
2: why do you feel like, what do you do to try to prevent those? Do you feel like it's the bovie? So you actually hit the nail on the head. So we know that a lot of times patients' keloid or hi- hypertrophy because of an increased inflammatory response. As you know, there's phases of healing, right? And one of those phases is inflammation, mm-hmm. which is brings all the healing cells and all of that. But if you stay in that inflammatory phase longer, the longer your body stays in that, the actually worse your scar can be. And you can keloid and you can hypertrophic and you could just have a really ugly scar. So... Um, Anything that causes inflammation, i.e. the bovi or an infection mm. or secondary healing because mm. the, the wound opened, all of those things can give us scars that are a little bit more insightly. Absolutely. hundred percent. That just makes me think, I'm like,
0: okay, so now eat your fruits and vegetables while you're <laughs> healing, yeah. get your anti-inflammatory properties yes. in. like. Yes. You know, again, it's always going to be that like holistic look at it, too. Mm -hmm.
1: This is for sure. And then on that same note, do you use
2: drains? So not usually, actually. So nine times out of 10, I'm not using drains. Now, if we're doing large volume liposuction and sometimes I feel like it is a good idea, I will put a drain or two. But even if I do liposuction, I usually don't leave drains. It has to be a large amount of liposuction for me to leave some drains. But my standard tummy tucks. Um, I don't usually leave drains. My breast dogs, my breast lifts, I don't leave drains. Brachioplasty, those are the arms. I don't leave drains. And even the thighs. So I would say most often I'm not. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now,
1: one area we didn't go there with, the butt. And yeah. so a lot of people will say, well, can't you just every time I do a case, not every time, but a lot in the pre-op area, they're like, well, when you're in there, can you take some fat, but just put it in my butt? Don't forget, like keep it up there. And people are so worried about like losing their curves with the weight loss. And we already talked about the breast deflating and now the butt sagging, deflating. And I used to have such a cute
2: butt. So how can you, I know the BBL and all that, but like, what do you, how do you like deal with that? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that we can augment the buttocks. Um, And so probably one of the most famous ways, right, is what you guys all have heard of, the Brazilian butt lift, which is nothing more than putting fat from somewhere else in your body. We liposuck it out and we use it as a graft and we pump it back in. Um, And we can do that in the buttocks to give you a little bit more volume. Now, that is very, and I will give my public service announcement right here, it can be very dangerous in the wrong hands. So anytime you have this procedure done, you need to make sure you're absolutely going to see a board certified plastic surgeon. Yes. You should see nobody else. Um, And you need to be at a facility that is well-equipped to handle these kinds of procedures. Okay. Off of that soapbox. Um, So – fat grafting to the buttocks is one way. Otherwise, a lot of the times we can just get away with doing what we call a butt lift or lower back lift, okay? A lot of you have probably heard of the lower body lift or a belt lipectomy. This is when we actually lift the buttocks up in the back. And when we do that, we kind of give you the appearance of an augmented shape. We're actually changing your shape. We're getting rid of that excess kind of, quote unquote, saddlebag skin. And that can really give give you the illusion of increased volume or bring your volume Back to where it was. We're kind of resuspending it up just like we did with the breasts. So there's many things that we can do to augment the buttocks. But again, this is really just person-specific. I know. Mm-hmm. I always think like, I like a n like a big butt, but like I'm always worried about like where do you
1: find clothes? You had this tight little waist if you did the abdominal plasty and the paniculectomy combo, and then you now have this nice big butt and
0: how do you find clothes with that body I think habitus? You've become friends with a tailor. Oh, is actually it, and then you buy the bigger size, and then you get them to mm-hmm. all cinched in, waist snatched. in. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. and snatched. Oh yeah, I have some friends that do that, and they swear they're like, I buy these this one type of jeans, and I get the size up, and then I,
2: oh, I just cool. get them taken in.
0: There that's we go. Very
2: smart. Yeah. That's some apple bottom jeans right there, or apple <laughs> bottom jeans. Yes, <laughs> oh, we're right gonna there.
0: throw them back to two thousand four. Yeah, that's it. There we go. There go. We're gonna, gonna wear our boots with the fur. Yes. I know. It's oh my gosh. Uh,
1: Now thinking of 2004, when my face also used to be so much more youthful, and a lot of people when they lose weight, they're losing it in their faces. So, what kinds of things can you do? To people say, "I don't want to look old." Like, how do you like combat that that aspect of it?
2: Yes. So, in the massive weight loss patient population, you know, we're seeing this, and and it's going around all over. It's all the news right now, right? Ozempic face. Like, (sighs) I lost all this weight, and my face is now deflated, and I look like 20 years old. Older than I really am. Well, because fat in the face is very youthful. And so when you lose fat in the face, yeah, Absolutely, it ages you. So what can we do? Well, a few things. We can add fat back to the face, much like we put fat in the butt or put fat in the breasts. We can actually put fat back in your face. And so we do that all the time. And a lot of the times we do it with a facelift. So depending on how much excess skin you have on your face, it may require actually some surgical removal, meaning you need a facelift or a neck lift. But most of the time we're doing that in combination with adding fat back into the face, whether you've lost weight or not. I mean, that's really the surgery we, we do most frequently for aging, anti-aging, because guess what? Everybody that ages loses fat in their face, whether you're a massive weight loss patient or not. So um, we've been doing this for years and years and years before I was a big face was even a thing. <laughs> but now obviously we've drawn some light to it. And so, yes, we can fix your face and we can restore some youth here. Um, but yes, we usually are going to add a little fat back to it and uh, not make you look good like chipmunk, but na- restore some natural volume. I don't, I don't have that problem. I've got like <laughs> – You are really, the cutest little, little face. You're yes, so youthful over there. you so chunky youthful. cheeks here.
0: You look like but a baby. But what's funny to me is that like the trend right now is that buccal fat removal. Yes. Which I'm like – I feel like you're just aging yourself yeah
2: so you have to be really yes oh man I just last week did a whole big discussion about this with another uh, group of surgeons but yes so buccal fat pad removal is kind of that fat pad that's in front of your jaw muscle like if you clench your teeth and you feel on the side you can feel that muscle pop Mm -hmm. up it's like the grinder muscle you know Um, And the fat pad is right in front of that. And so if you remove that fat pad, yes, you can get a little bit more of a chiseled looking face. However, it does change the appearance of your face. And with time, it's removing structure from your face. Mm. And so you can get a little jowling. Um, And a little aging. And so we're seeing that more and more as it's become uh, a little bit more in vogue. Again, this isn't a surgery that was, you know, just born yesterday. It's we've had it for thousands of years. But, you know, really, it's, you know, like everything else, it's becoming a trend Mm -hmm. and you just have to use it. Judiciously, so there. Are, I would say my massive weight loss patient population, probably most patients, are not candidates for this. You know, they've already lost a lot of that volume to begin with, and have a, a problem with looking a little gaunt.
1: Yeah, that's that's it. So, I mean. Lose weight, get all the metabolic and uh, comorbidity, resolution, improvement, diseases, diabetes, hypertension, sleep apnea, boom, that's all gone. And then when they're ready, just finish that journey. It's like running a marathon but not run- finishing the last point too. Yes, like, yes, Cross the
2: line. Cross the line. And I can't tell you how – happy patients are that they've done this. I mean, if I just, you see a true transformation in their confidence and their step and they just, you know, we've talked about intimacy, like, oh my God, like I finally was able to cross that threshold with my partner or my spouse or whomever. Mm. Um, And I always was so worried about that. And so it's so just life changing and, um, you know, we can get you there. And, and yet the downtime is not bad for most of these procedures. So, you know, just kind of keeping that in your back pocket. Um, and really thinking about it. Don't be afraid of it. You've already done the hardest part. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And then like how painful is it though? Like when can they return
1: to just
2: moving around and going to
1: work and that all tell those, all those yeah. things? Yeah,
2: so it's procedure specific, but I would say the general downtime for most of these procedures is about two weeks. You know, as far as like getting you back in the gym, it really is procedure dependent, but anywhere from four to six weeks, you know, I always say like no heavy, severe heavy lifting if we're doing abdominoplasty for about four weeks, just because we want that muscle to really heal and then you're gonna have optimal core function. So I try to kind of hold you back for a minute, but by no means are you allowed to be a sitting swan. I mean, we're get you up and at them that night and you're walking around and you're you know I'm, a, I'm fine, go walk around miles around the neighborhood. That's totally fine. Uh, back to work usually about two weeks depending on what you do.
1: Wow, that's I love that yeah. sitting swan. No sitting, no swans, no sitting swans. swans. No swans. No. Yeah, and
2: pain is not bad. Most patients, ninety nine percent of my patients, just take Tylenol, Motrin, and maybe a muscle relaxer from time to time. But I would say almost nobody takes a narcotic. Wow, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Another question, and then I think we'll wrap up with where we can find you and everything. But if someone is getting bariatric surgery or or losing weight and then intending for pregnancy when should they see you?
2: So you definitely don't want to see me before pregnancy if you're planning to have an abdominoplasty, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, because you will just ruin your repair. I mean, yeah. can you get pregnant after abdominoplasty? Absolutely. You know, that's it's not going to hurt you. But you're going to probably want to come back and get a revision <laughs> if you do that. So definitely have all your babies first. Um, as, and especially with the breasts too, right? Your breasts are going to change. They, sometimes patients Breasts grow with pregnancy and they don't shrink or sometimes they shrink with pregnancy and they change. And if you nurse, that kind of adds a level of eh, to the breast. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I would say have all your babies first and right. then come see me. There you go. And
1: another thing with that being said, in terms of the order of things, a lot of my our patients will have plastic surgery first and then they'll have weight loss surgery. And that... like you said, it's totally fine. You can still safely get through the surgery. But just from a laparoscopic standpoint, when we do these bariatric procedures, we put little incisions and then we blow you up with CO2 and so sometimes there's just not a lot of abdominal wall working space because it's like ah it's like in a cave it's like everything's so close to you so if because these great tight repairs and these trampoline flat abdomens are making it really hard for it to distend and and be able to expand the way we need to to get the great working space and all the nooks and crannies so hopefully if you're thinking about this you have weight loss surgery, you team up with Dr. Porus afterwards and then you go for it and complete your your perfect look there and, um, you know, and then keep going on with your journey.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're there for, I think we're all, all three of us are there for you the entire journey, so. Absolutely.
0: So where can we find you? If somebody wants to reach out, they're like, I'm ready, what's the best way? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So you can visit my website. It's porousplasticsurgery.com, P-O-R-I-S. Or you can find me on Instagram. Now I have two accounts. My main account is stiletto underscore surgeon. <laughs> there you can see a ton of before and afters as well as on my website. And then my uh, plastic surgery page, plastic surgeon page is just porous plastic surgery. But but Stiletto surgeon's really the one to go to. And of course, you can call my office at 407-558-1616. And we will gladly answer your call with a cheerful smile. And you can come see our awesome office.
1: Yes, the office is beautiful. The staff is incredible. Now, back to the Stiletto Surgeon thing as we uh, go out here. You're wearing a jacket. It has the uh, the, the stiletto with the he- with the spike of the heel being a knife. So there's three different types of main surgical knives. Knives that are used. There's eleven blade, ten blade, Fifteen blade. Which one is your favorite and why? Ten
2: blade. Oh, all I knew you were going to say day I'm, long.
1: I'm probably the weirdest. I'm an eleven blade You're girl. Eleven blader. I know. There's nobody that uses eleven blade. Look these up. We have to put like a picture on our Instagram, So with yeah. these different blades. So, fifteen and ten are the same shape, but the ten is a big boy. This big is, boy. she's taking. She's taking some skin. She's yes. doing some
2: things. Yeah, it's like my workhorse knife. Now I do use an eleven blade for some of the liposuction holes that are very similar to the trocar holes. But yeah. I I'm a 10 blade girl. Oh my gosh. Time. I love an
1: 11 blade. Yeah. I have in my, it's in storage now. I'm still in a rental two years later. it's a whole different story. But I have this huge picture. It would take up this whole wall. It's huge. And it's my hand. It's in black and white, except for I have red nails and I'm holding the 11 blade because it's just like your knife is like your identity, you know? I like that. I'm going to have to do that in my office. You need hot, really, pink yes, nails, hot pink black nails, black and white the 10 blade nice. the, the big boy blade get stuff done blade
2: yes that's it that's my it my
0: favorite knife is a chef's knife oh yeah, yes. <laughs> that is my workhorse i love that's it that's true now what's your favorite brand oh that's a good have, question i don't have i don't have like a wusthof i don't have mm-hmm. like a german one i have a fairly inexpensive knife but it has lasted me a few years and i love it, it i think it's trip. from amazon
2: oh fabulous i love amazon yeah yeah, but it's
0: great. It's well balanced. Has a nice hold.
2: <laughs> it, Maybe I'd like. She a can list cut stuff, off, you know? all the protein. I mm. got yeah, she protein can. with that. I
0: cut veggies with oh, it. Keep going. I, I use that literally daily.
1: <laughs> wow, Hannah. Yeah, she cooks. She puts. I just. I have never. I no. I cannot.
0: Yeah. No, that's okay. We that's all have okay. our strengths. I can't do bariatric or plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah, oh, I won't, well, I won't try. <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: Well. It has been an honor to have you here. This has been so informative. I mean, I feel more comfortable. I mean, when I was breastfeeding, I, my, it's a long story, guys, but my my cup size went up to a G, like G for gangster. These are that's pretty edge. Yeah. And now they're like, I don't know what they are, like deflated B's. Who knows? But anyway, yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about it, go for it. Yeah, you know? I've absolutely. learned so much. This has been very fun. You're oh, a yeah. wealth of knowledge. And I hope that you get a lot of our patients who are wanting somebody that's kind, compassionate, empathetic, sophisticated, fun, all of the great things that you and your office and your team represent.
2: So thank you for being on Dr. X dietitian. Well, thank you, ladies for Having me, it's been an absolute pleasure. And
0: keep an eye out on our Instagram at Dr. X Dietitian for any follow-up information. Reach out if you have questions. Send us a DM. Check out our website drxdietitian.com. And otherwise, we will see you next week.
1: Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.